0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: When the Apostle Paul returned from his first missionary journey, he had a confrontation with people who came down from Jerusalem. He had a confrontation with these people over the subject of circumcision And of course, that led into the confrontation of, do the Gentiles have to live in obedience to the Mosaic law or not? The Apostle Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem and discussed this subject with the Apostles there in Jerusalem. The church convened a council with all of the Apostles, all of the elders of the church there in Jerusalem. They assembled together and discussed the issue of whether or not a Gentile would have to be circumcised whether or not a Gentile would also have to live in obedience to the law of Moses. When the people assembled to discuss this matter, the question never came up as to whether or not a Jew would have to live in obedience to the Mosaic law. It was just whether or not a Gentile would have to live in obedience to the Mosaic law. But I think what's very interesting to note about this discussion is that the people were discussing should they be led by the law or not how were they really going to live their daily lives what was going to be the means by which they would make decisions in their daily lives would they need to be living in obedience to the mosaic law or would they not be needing to live in obedience to the mosaic law now this of course had a different meaning to the people then than it has today today In most circles of influence, in most churches or in most gatherings or ministries or whatever, people look at the subject of the law as being the guidelines by which we make decisions in our lives when we are confronted with various choices in our daily life. It also defines things that are sin that we shouldn't be doing and things that we should be doing. The law is looked at as an overview of how we live our daily lives, but it doesn't really define every aspect of our personal lives. On the other hand, back in this time with the Apostle Paul, the people of the Pharisees, and it does say in Acts chapter 15 that they were people who were of the Pharisees, who were believing in the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, and they were members of the church. They were the ones who argued this point, that a person should live in obedience to the Mosaic law. They looked at this subject very differently, and so likewise the apostles looked at this subject very differently. They looked at Pharisaical Judaism as the means by which a person should truly live, which means that it wasn't just the law, it was also all the other laws, all the other commands that a person should follow in order to ensure that they would never come within the boundaries of violating the Mosaic law. There was a lot more involved than just saying these are the 613 commandments and we're going to obey them. It had to do with how are we going to live in order to ensure that we do obey these commandments. That's what this meant to the people back then. And so to say that a person is going to be guided by the law meant that this person was going to follow an entire way of life, an entire existence. Every aspect of their life was going to be governed by a list of rules and regulations that were defined in order to ensure that you would never come within the boundaries of of violating the Mosaic law. That's how the people understood this subject. But I want you to understand something, and that is that to be led by the law means that every aspect of your life was very well defined. But as you continue to read in the scriptures in the book of Acts, what happens after Paul leaves the council, he leaves Jerusalem, and then he goes on his second missionary journey, he is not led by the law. He is led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides him in his daily life, that's what it says in Acts chapter 16, directed him to go into a region or not to go into a region, that his daily experience was governed by the Holy Spirit not by the law, that there was a clear distinction between the two ways that he could have lived. He could have lived in obedience to the Mosaic law, and if he did, then he certainly would not have gone into these regions if he was going to stay true to the Mosaic law. He would be very careful, very cautious about how he would enter into these regions, who he would interact with and how he would interact with them, whose household he would enter into and whose household he would not enter into. All of these things are very well defined by the law, but he was not governed by the law. He was governed and guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, this distinction was explained by the Apostle Paul in Galatians. In Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, he has an awful lot to say about how you're going to live your daily life if you are going to walk in the freedom that Christ has called us to. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, he says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. In other words, if you're going to be guided by the Mosaic law to include the law of circumcision, then Christ is of no value to you at all because Christ is not about being more inspired or to be encouraged to live in obedience to the commandments. Our new life in the Messiah, our new life in Christ, is a different kind of life, something that is completely unrelated to the life of living obedience to the Mosaic law. Paul says again in verse 3, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. But in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, obedience or disobedience has nothing to do with how we live our daily life now. What really matters is our trust and dependency on what Christ Jesus has done for us and our response to what we have been given as an inheritance as a result of his death and our living our daily lives in light of what we have already been given. That is what is important. It is the faith that we have entered into. It is our faith in the living God that works itself out through the love that we express to other people. In other words, our interaction with other people is not to be defined by the law, but our interactions with other people is defined by the love that we give to others. Now, trust me, folks, if we love others, if we are loving others with the love that we have received from our God, we are definitely not going to be sinning against them. We are not going to be violating them. Instead, we are going to have patience towards them. We are going to accept them. We are not going to count any of their wrongs against them we are going to be gentle towards them we are going to exercise self-control towards them none of these qualities is defined by the love of god or in the law the law has nothing to do with these things this is a completely different way of life where we interact with others with the very love that our god has shared with us demonstrated by what he has done through providing us the forgiveness of sins that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. As you continue to read in Galatians chapter 5, he says in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so if a person is under the law, they are definitely not led by the Spirit. And I sincerely believe that this is a distinct division that we can see in the book of Acts. A very distinct division That is shown as we leave Acts chapter 15 and go into Acts chapter 16, because in Acts chapter 16, we have the description of the Apostle Paul being led by the Spirit. But we know that when he left Jerusalem, the Apostles in Jerusalem were still being led by the law, which means that the Apostles in Jerusalem were not being led by the Spirit. The Apostle Paul was definitely not led by the Apostles in Jerusalem. He did not receive any guidance or instruction or directives from the Apostles in Jerusalem that he was going to abide under. He lived a life of being led by the Holy Spirit, not by the Apostles. And this is very clear because when he goes into his second missionary journey, he certainly does not abide under the directives that the Apostles in Jerusalem gave him. The directives that the apostles in Jerusalem gave him were to leave the Jews to them, to go ahead and speak to the Gentiles, but to leave the Jews to them. This was explained in the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, where he wrote, "...and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles... And they to the circumcised. In other words, that's what they had to say. That's what they dictated to Paul. But Paul did not hear their dictation. Did not hear it in the context of he was going to abide under it. Because sure enough, Paul goes to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. He did not discriminate between the two. He did not abide under the edict that was given to him by the church in Jerusalem. He did not follow their directive in that context, but instead, being led by the Spirit, he went to the Jews whenever he would go to any community that he would minister to. This was described well in Acts chapter 17. As we leave Acts chapter 16 to see that he is being guided by the Holy Spirit, we can then go into Acts chapter 17 and we can see that, sure enough, the first places that he would go to were the synagogues. That's where he went. Throughout the chapter, Acts chapter 17, he went to the various synagogues. For example, in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them through the Scriptures." Explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. In other words, He is the Messiah. This is a very important thing to recognize that the Apostle Paul did not follow the directives of the church in Jerusalem, but he continued to live in dependency on the Holy Spirit, to be guided by the Holy Spirit and not to be led by the law. The apostles in Jerusalem were led by the law, not by the Spirit. But the Apostle Paul was unique in that he was led by the Spirit and not by the law. And you cannot be led by both at the same time. You really do have to choose one or the other. Either you're going to believe and trust in what he has already done for you, or you are going to live a life trusting and depending on what you are going to do for him. In order to please him, in order to be blessed by him, there are many reasons why people try to live in obedience to the law. But all of them have to do with a focus on yourself and not a focus on the Holy Spirit, to be preoccupied with what you are doing and not to be preoccupied with what he is doing. Now, when Paul was in Thessalonica, he did proclaim the gospel, and there were many people who did believe. There were many people who did receive the message of the gospel However, it doesn't say that the people spent a lot of time looking into the scriptures to see what it was that Paul was teaching to confirm what Paul was relating to them. But it does say in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 4, that some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, referring to the Jews, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So what happened as a result? Well, you continue to read in verse 5, but the Jews becoming jealous... And taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. In other words, the Jews became very jealous because Paul was effective in reaching out to people in the name of the God of Israel in the name of the Messiah, and people were following the Apostle Paul. This was very important because you have to understand that the Jews were there for the purpose of trying to reach out to the Gentiles. The Jews were there trying to reach out to the Gentiles with the Mosaic Law, trying to get them to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law so that they could experience the blessing of Abraham, which was that all the families on the earth would be blessed. And, of course, the way that they believed a person would be blessed was that if they would live in obedience to the Mosaic Law, they could experience the blessings defined in Deuteronomy, especially in chapter 28. that said that if you were to obey all of the commandments, then you could receive all of the blessings that God had declared. The reality, however, is that no one could actually live in obedience to all the commandments, and so no one would truly be blessed. And I think the people... We're starting to figure that out, that even though the Pharisees, the Jews in this area, sincerely believed that they were going to live in obedience to the commandments, that they were successful in being able to live in obedience to the commandments, the other people, the Gentiles in that area, did not believe it because they did not see the blessings coming to those people as they were suggesting they would receive. And so when the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and he tells them about the Messiah, and they start believing the Apostle Paul, then the Jews could easily become very jealous, very disturbed, very angry, because the reason why they were there was to reach out to the Gentiles, but now somebody else is successful in doing that. This makes them look bad, to say the least. And so they inspire a riot, they inspire a big uproar, and as a result of that, Paul does leave the area, and he goes on into Berea. But when he goes to Berea, he again goes to the synagogue. Again, contrary to the decree of the apostles in Jerusalem, he goes to the synagogue and continues to reach out to the people there. And sure enough, the people respond. This is described in verse 10, where it says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And so the people in Berea did receive the message and they did look into the scriptures and they were considered to be more noble minded in that sense than the others. But please understand that even though they went into the scriptures with a more noble attitude of trying to really determine whether or not the words that were spoken of by Paul were true, there were people in Thessalonica who did believe they were saved they did begin to live a life of dependency and trust on the Lord Jesus. That is the true objective. The objective is not to be more noble than somebody else. The objective is not to look into the scriptures more than someone else. I can certainly appreciate the value of that, and I certainly do want to encourage people to do that. But the objective is to know the Lord Jesus. That is the objective. The objective is to grow in a personal interactive relationship with the Lord Jesus, not to grow in a personal interactive relationship with the scriptures, but that there is a person who is testified of by the scriptures, and it is the person that we are to get to know. You know, throughout our lives, whenever we go out and we minister to other people, we reach out to other people, we tell other people about the gospel, we are going to run into people who do not believe that it is necessary for them to really study the scriptures in order to determine whether or not we are telling them the truth. And there are people who will want to search the scriptures to see whether or not what we are telling them is the truth. But in reality, neither one of those issues are really of great importance. What is of greater importance is not that people start reading their Bibles. That is important. That does have value. But what is of greater importance is that a person may know the truth of what the Lord Jesus has done for them. What is important is that they are able to apply what the Lord Jesus has done for them in their own personal lives. It is the freedom that a person can experience from the truth that is revealed to them that is of greater importance. And so it is not necessary to be so concerned about how people are going to respond to what we share with them. And people are going to respond in different ways. What is important is that we go and we reach out to them, that we reach out to the people who are in the world, who do not know the Lord, who are lost. We are to reach out to them with the truth of the living God, of what he has done and what he is doing right now. We are to reach out to them on the basis of what he has given to us, what he is giving to others freely. That is the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The ministry of the law was to try to get people's flesh under control. That's effectively the ministry of the law, which is the ministry of condemnation, that if we condemn people enough and tell them how evil and wicked they are, that perhaps they may change their attitude, they may change their behaviors, and they may begin to live a life of holiness. That is the ministry of condemnation. That is the ministry of the law. It is important for a person to understand that they have sin and that they are wicked and evil so that they can certainly appreciate And receive the forgiveness that our God has given to them as a result of what Christ Jesus did for them. But beyond that, the most important thing for us to convey to people is that there is a ministry of reconciliation. That our God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. So that they can receive the Holy Spirit they can be resurrected they can receive the indwelling presence of the holy spirit that had been lost in adam and they can then begin to live a life of dependency and trust on their god receiving what he has for them and be instructed and guided specifically by him and he will lead them he will guide them he will lead them into all truth and he will guide them into a life of peace and rest on the basis of what they have not on the basis of what they may hope to obtain by their holiness or by their repentance or by their obedience. It's a very different way of life, and there were people who were responding to that. And their lives were being changed. But the jealousy of the other people was so deep within them that they had to do something, They had to try to find a way to get rid of the Apostle Paul, to get him out of the area, to get him out of their communities, and so that he would not invade on their attempts to try and put people into bondage. But as he went from one community to the next, he was still effective in communicating the gospel and the basic fundamentals to people so that they could be saved, so that they could be resurrected, and so that they could begin to walk in a newness of life so that they could be guided and led by the Holy Spirit who would guide them and lead them into all truth and who would mature them as he saw fit at a pace that they could handle, at a pace that they could absorb. The Apostle Paul demonstrated that a person can actually be governed by the living God, that he did not need to remain within these communities in order to govern and control these people. He did not need to remain within these areas for very long to disciple them for long periods of time. He turned them over to the Holy Spirit, who continued the work of maturing them as he saw fit, as he would guide them, as he would leave them. Paul would simply go from one community to the next. He would go from one person to the next, reaching out to different kinds of people who had different attitudes, who had different values. And we also will reach out to different people as we go through our daily lives, going from one person to the next, reaching out to them with the message of the gospel and the truths that our God has revealed to us. And people will certainly respond in different ways, but what is more important is that we be sensitive to the Spirit of God, because I sincerely believe that he will guide us and lead us, as he guided the Apostle Paul in a very similar way. He will guide us and lead us in our daily experiences whereas he may direct us to reach out to some people but not to others. Or we can choose to reach out to some people and not to others. Either way, our God will go with us. The Holy Spirit will go with us and he will make use of the opportunities that we present him and we will make use of the opportunities that he presents to us. It is a mutual experience. Engaging this world in the new life that we now have is a mutual experience that we have with the living God who is an active participant in our daily lives, just as we are an active participant in the world that he has created and the world that he is involved with. But the end result that we really need to be aware of is that a person will only grow and mature if they depend on the living God, if they do depend on the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is that they trust in and rely on what he has done for them, that they enjoy the complete relationship that they do have, that they enjoy the acceptance that has been given to them, that they enjoy the love that he has for them, that they live in the reality that he is already pleased with them, not because of what they do or what they don't do, but because of what he has already done for them. If a person will walk in that truth, in these truths, in these realities, then it will meet the deepest needs that they have in their heart. It will change everything about who they are as a person. Because in general, we as people were governed by these deep needs that we have to be loved and accepted. And and the sins that we commit, virtually every sin that a person commits, can be boiled down to a person reaching out, trying to have these needs met, these needs of love and acceptance and meaning and purpose, trying to have these needs met in the world, and it leads them to commit sin. But when they rely on the living God to meet those true needs, it fulfills the deepest needs of their heart, which sets them free from the temptations to sin in the world. And when that happens, then a person will begin to say no to sin, not because the law said don't sin, but because they don't want to, because they don't have a desire to, because there is no need to. This is a transformation of an individual that can only occur through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and through an individual's dependency and trust on the living God who is indwelling within them. This is the transformation that would occur as a person would continue to live in dependency on the Holy Spirit. It doesn't require them to live in dependency on an apostle or another individual or a pastor or a teacher. It depends on an individual's dependency and trust on the living God. But then somebody comes along and suggests, Why don't you consider living a life in obedience to the law and so you can be blessed by God? What do you mean, be blessed by God? What are you talking about? I have already been blessed by God with all blessings in heavenly places, and I am experiencing a sense of peace and rest in my own heart, in the deepest part of my being that is transforming everything about who I am as a person. What are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the blessings that are described in the law, that you can have more flour in your kneading bowl, that you will lend and not borrow. Those are the kinds of blessings that are offered through the law. They have nothing to do with the spirit. They have nothing to do with the condition of a person's heart. They have nothing to do with actually knowing your God. This was the effect of the ministry of the Apostle Paul that made him very distinct from the ministry of the other apostles. It is the message of reconciliation, it is the message of being set free from the law that sets a person free to begin to walk in this newness of life of dependency on all that our God has given to us in Christ Jesus.